0: Back on uh, September 9th, 1956, Elvis appeared on the um, Ed Sullivan Show. I think um, everyone who knows anything about history knows that uh, with this performance, at least in our world, he was seen gyrating his hips in a fashion that uh, was regarded as overtly sexual. Now, what ended up happening was um, this is actually one of the first times that uh, censorship started occurring on American television. And as a result, what ended up happening was they ended up showing Elvis from the waist up. Now, this wasn't true for a great deal of the world. And what ended up happening is this actually caused a, um, a rift, if you, if you will. So, in our version of Los Angeles, and in particular the uh, United States... That actually, you know it was kind of a pivotal thing you know censorship really hadn't um, hadn't been overt up until that point. It had been more hidden you know with what things with where things had been, and a lot of people, particularly women, at that point were sexually repressed as it was. so what ended up happening was uh, this also I- introduced inside the United States the um, something called the eight second delay or what they refer to as a broadcast delay. So we're basically, anything that goes out on public TV and everything, it became a well-known fact that the networks were actually um, delaying things, in a lot of cases actually hiding things, manipulating things for the public and everything. The public became quite, a, quite accustomed to this. Now, let's just say that in an alternate version of Earth, um, this event wasn't censored. So, um, let's just, you know, put this out there and everything. And in, in this other other version of Los Angeles, which is perfectly real, mind you, um, and also the United States, a full body shot of Elvis had been, actually been seen. Now, this really didn't cause anything to happen. You know, Um, it was very, very indistinct, the differences, you know, between seeing him gyrating versus not. It left a lot to the imagination, you know, about what, or (laughs) I shouldn't say a lot, it left a very little to the imagination of what was going on, but it still left just enough to the imagination that the American public ended up saying, you know, at least in our reality, what's going on down there, versus, you know, in this alternate reality, Everybody knew what was going on. Elvis is gyrating his his hips and ended up uh, simulating more or less fucking a girl. Now, up until 1970, um, I think it's um, May 4th to be precise, uh, there was something called the Kent State Shootings. Now, history... Um, for the most part, between these two different versions of Los Angeles and the United States, and the world for that matter, was pretty similar in between the two. And um, what ended up happening at the Kit State shootings is, you know, the same on both planets or both versions of Earth, if you will. So just imagine, if you will, that there's two distinct and very subtly different versions of Los Angeles that are actually forming at this point. You know, so, one, I mean, they're not different enough to actually say that they're truly different, but they are different enough to basically really have those people that are actually creating the entertainment and the movies and everything start to question, you know, um, should we be censoring things from the American public? Should we be delivering the things that the American public deserves and everything. And in a lot of cases, um, you know, and particularly Hollywood, Hollywood started back in the 1920s and 1930s, more or less um, as a uh, more or less, I mean, most people don't know this, it was actually the homeless that ended up starting Hollywood back in the 1920s and 1930s, and, and what started it was basically a deportation of, of the homeless people from across the country, especially, especially um, in the New York area they ended up uh, more or less deporting people by buses and whatever mechanisms they could those people that they couldn't keep gainfully employed and everything they ended up pushing them to the united S- or to uh, to los angeles and at that point that formed a creative community which in turn actually ended up forming what we now know as hollywood and this ha- ha- happened during the great depression and it became remarkably remarkably successful so much so that those people that were actually monetizing things and making money on it, eventually has caused the homeless problem to reoccur inside Los Angeles itself, in part because of the fact that uh, those people that were creative, those minds that had the capability to express themselves creatively, no longer have a home. So anyways, let's fast forward to um, from 1928 to May 4th, 1970. Now, at this point, um, the history itself, you know, with the one solitary difference between two distinct versions. Now, at this point, I want you to really think there's two different versions of planet Earth. Um, They're in lockstep together, you know, and it's the same relative history in between these two. You know, but that Elvis thing caused a subtle rift in between these two different versions of Earth, which started a very, very, very slow and methodical alteration in the history of one version of Los Angeles versus the history of another. Now I'm going to get to what happened and and why this happened in a minute, but uh, let's go to the Kent State shootings. Now if anybody's not familiar with the Kent State shootings, um, what ended up happening in Kent State was... Basically, those protests um, across the United States for warfare over in uh, over in Vietnam. There was a lot of people that were opposed to the Vietnam War, particularly students and everything. And um, these students that were opposed to this war they protested publicly, very publicly, and in particularly in some of the rural communities and everything, the amount of people that would actually be called up um, for the draft and actually be sent overseas and everything to fight a war that in a lot of cases most people felt like the United States had no part being in. Um, this had, had occurred systematically and had been occurring off and on since basically World War Two. Now, in, in the 60s, the sexual revolution um, had commenced, so I'm sure you're familiar with Woodstock and all this other stuff and everything, and... Um, basically, Elvis was definitely a part of it, especially with his hip gyration and everything. Uh, He was considered the first male sex idol, um, by and large, by a lot of people and everything, both male and female. So in Kent State, um, there was basically a sexual revolution that was beginning to, to emerge at this point. This whole philosophy of make love, not war was starting to come up. And uh, at, at this point, what ended up happening was 2,000 students were protesting the war in Asia, and they refused to disperse at, at Kent State University. And this ended up uh, resulting in the, uh, the killing of four students and the injuring of nine. Now... That was uh, because of this. Um, these shootings in both realities led to protests on college campuses throughout the United States. This is well documented history. So, this also caused a student strike, and the uh, Kent State campus alone was closed for six weeks. And it, was, it had been the governor himself which had issued the order to basically open fire on the crowd. Now, this um, as a result of this domino effect, more than four hundred and fifty campuses, university and co- college campuses across the country chose to close uh, because of violent and nonviolent demonstrations that were occurring protesting the war, you know the Vietnam War and the you know, that was going on, and uh, basically it was the same, same premise, you know. Hey, we we believe that there's a better way forward, you know, and we believe that uh, in part that's basically through expression, through the human body, you know, not necessarily exp- expression through um, through violent and violent action and everything. So a common sentiment uh, was that, um, you know, held by the students, particularly in New York State University, was uh, I saw this on Wiki with a, a banner was hung out of the window. It says, they can't kill us all and uh, to some degree a lot of people felt like this was happening so on may 8th 11 people were bayoneted bayoneted mind you now this is this is the modern you know era for the most part the 1970s united states um so there was 11 people that were bayoneted shoved knifed you know at the university of new mexico by the new mexico national guard and these are the people that are supposed to be on our side the people that are trained you know military trained and Everything. And uh, this led to a confrontation with, uh, again, with student protesters. Now, over the next period of a couple weeks, over 4 million students protested, and hundreds of American colleges and universities closed during the student strikes. So this this was really, you know, kind of um, bad news, you know, especially with, what, with um, Richard Nixon coming in as president and everything. And he was hoping to get in with status quo type presidents and everything and just, you know, more or less taking what had been going on and, you know, just basically moving forward with it. But uh, along with his cabinet, um, he actually uh, began fearing that this uh, uprising would actually cause a complete shutdown of the government. So he worked with uh, with media sources actively to diminish reports of the quantity of protesters, protesters, and uh, the amount of uh, amount of protesting that was happening across the country. And uh, he worked actively with um, with the large scale affiliates, NBC, ABC, and all the other stuff and everything. I can't, I don't have the uh, stats on which um, networks were alive at that point and uh, at that point um, he was just basically asking them to quell a another civil war, you know, and that that was their genuine concern, that there would be an actual civil war between the students and basically everybody else, saying, we're not going to fucking war across over there. If you want a war, we'll bring it fucking right here. And that was the concern, you know, so he ended up, um, at that point, worked with uh, news media sources to actively um, eliminate any kind of protesting from the news. So, What ended up happening as a result of this is um, this actually enraged some of the student leaders. And in particular, this is actually when Hollywood chose to actively get involved and it became divisive inside Hollywood itself. You know, so by this point, Hollywood's actually kind of on the fence. You know, there. Um, you know, in in both realities. And at this point, let's be let's make it clear. It's this divisive issue, whether or not the president should be able to censor information that's actually going out to the American public, or not. Whether or not the public actually deserves to know what's really happening in the in the uh, in the country. Now, th- this was the problem. Both sides understood, you know, that the censorship was happening for a reason. But both sides, you know, I mean, and the whole premise, the whole context, the whole possibility of a civil war happening inside the United States was feared by both sides. They, they saw that the student actions that were occurring were so massive in the early 1970s and everything that, that it could indeed actually lead to a very real civil war. Both sides in Hollywood, you know, whether or not they were for or against the president's actions, um, understood why the president did it. One side just didn't agree with his methods. The other side, you know, f- agreed with it. Well, those that disagreed, they at that point ended up starting to actually work together. And they actually w- worked together with student action or to, with student, um, student leaders. Now... This led to shortly after um, the catalyst, the thing that really tipped tipped and caused that divisive thing that was going where anybody that was on the fence over in Hollywood um, that was, you know, trying to figure out what side they belonged to and everything. Those news reports that were occurring, there was a protest that had actually started occurring in D.C., where... More or less, it was a million people plus actually appeared in D.C. to protest the uh, the war and also to basically call you know call for the impeachment of the president and everything, saying, "Look, we're not putting up with this shit anymore. We're not interested in going to war and continuing this bullshit and everything." So there was a million plus people. Now here's here's an interesting thing that's actually said in our history. Um, this is actually true for both histories, too. So, in the sexual revolution re- reality, Ray Price, Nixon's chief speechwriter from 69, 1974 recalled the Washington demonstrations where more than a million people, as he was quoted, was saying that the city was an armed camp. The mobs were smashing windows, slashing tires, dragging parked cars at intersections, even throwing back, back bedsprings off of overpasses into the traffic down below. This was a, quote, student protest. That's not a student protest. This is a civil war. They saw the very real brewings of a civil war that were occurring right there in Washington, D.C. Well, the president reacted very poorly. He ended up actually leaving D.C. He um, ended up uh, entrenching entrenching, uh, basically the White House and everything with... um, More or less with military, making sure that it was a military, militarized operation there, and he ended up going to Camp David and uh, ended up surrounding himself by basically people to keep him safe. Now, uh, this is, uh, most people don't know this history. You know, I... I um I found you know found it really interesting. So Ray is also quoted as saying, "This can't be United States of America. This is not greatest free democracy democracy in the world. This is a nation at war with itself." Well, because of this, um, what ended up happening next was really what kind of like um, smashed Richard Nixon's um, image when it came down to any kind of uh, capabilities. Now. Those that were actually for the censoring, you know, of stuff that was going on and everything, um, they ended up saying, okay, you know, they, at that point, Richard Nixon demanded that they end up um, taking the amount, the volume of students that were actually in uh, Washington, D.C. at the time and diminishing reports and, and making it appear like everything was perfectly fine. There was nothing, nothing going on. Everything was hunky-dory. Yeah, there's a few students here and everything, and that's actually what was publicly released. But, um, you know, private, you've got literally four-plus million students which are very well aware of what's going on on the streets and everything. You know, they're talking to each other and everything. So, you know they know what's going on, and they're getting it back to, you know, certain people. And in Hollywood, this, for those that were actually on the fence, basically saying, look, the students are protesting, and, and they're demanding some kind of different action being taken. You know, you've got two major problems here. Number one, you've got warfare that's happening over the, over in uh, Vietnam. Now, Richard Nixon himself has basically said that he wants to pull out of war, you know, plain and simple. However, he has also stated and made it clear that if, if they were to pull out, um, his, his stance was that cannot be done immediately because of the problems that will occur both domestically and abroad. So he refused to, and he refused to bend you know, to the will of those that were actually involved in this. So that was actually just a big, huge problem, you know, where it's it's not that he wasn't trying to address the concerns of the students, um, but he just didn't want to do it in an accelerated time frame that they were interested in doing it in. So at that point, he ended up, you know, more or less found himself in a little bit of a quagmire over in D.C. and everything. So this is... Um, I wrote down this anti-war sentiment ran strong. The students catalyzed together in what f- formally became known as the sexual revolution. So, in much the same way that World War One, World War Two, Civil War happened and everything, this sexual revolution uh, was no less important and pivotal as the Civil War itself in America's history. Now... And this led to, you know, again, unfortunately, Richard Nixon's continued censorship of media, starting with the diminished reports of the number of people protesting in Washington, stood in stark contrast to what this movement represented, which was transparency in media and a complete elimination of censorship altogether. You know, so the students, along with a lot of people in Hollywood, were interested in just basically you know, transparency, not not just government transparency, but transparency in in, um, in events that were happening. They wanted, quote, and I'm doing a little uh, Richard Nixon quote, the truth. You know, um, <laughs> when it comes down to it, though, it's like, what uh, was well, it, um, a few good men and Jack Nicholson, the truth, you can't handle the truth. So, um, Student leaders at this point ended up um, marketing a highly controversial uh, working with uh, Hollywood at this point. Um, they just ended up at this point rather than focusing on overthrowing the government you know which was entrenched at this point, they ended up basically saying, okay, you know if we go to war, you know this presents a problem. It's no less different than the Civil War. It's leading to violent and armed conflict, and they saw that there was a problem with this approach. You know, they realize that this is going to result in the same shit that's been happening, you know, over and over again, you know, with some of the things that had happened in the past. So what they ended up doing at this point was they ended up working with Hollywood, you know, the student leaders ended up working with Hollywood and said, Look We've, we've got a, um, an idea for a highly controversial sexually graphic movie, and at that point, um, that's the Hollywood people, um, and the uh, Hollywood people turned around and said to the student leaders, Hey, do you want to market it for us? We're interested in transparency. A part of transparency also basically means that there's no filters, there's no censorship on Hollywood itself. So, at this point, um, you had never had pornography or anything like that in public media or anything like that and this actually had the uh, the production of the film um, on that was released june twelfth nineteen 1972, mo- the movie called Deep Throat." a movie featuring graphic depictions of sex never before seen on public screens nationwide. Well, here's part of the interesting propaganda that ended up happening with it. The movie was wildly successful, had the highest box office gross of the year, of the year, pulling in a total of 500, no, 600 million dollars, and it quadrupled the next closest movie's box office revenue. So... Now, I found this interesting. The next um, Nick's closest movie was actually Godfather. It was, and this is the interesting thing, it is what is marked down, if you actually look at media sources and everything, as being number one in the, uh, in the world um, for box office revenue. Godfather is. And this is thanks to guess who, Richard Nixon. So, in any case, I'll get to that in a second. But uh, so the exceedingly well-known movie starring Marlon Brando, *Godfather*, his second-highest-grossing gro- uh, movie that year, making a meager hundred and fifty million by comparison to *Deep Throat*'s six hundred million. *Deep Throat*. A hardcore, you know, graphical sex movie and everything made literally four times the money that Godfather did. So with the the movie's uh, success, um, this wasn't an anomaly. Uh, Another movie that landed in the top ten movies of that year for revenue was an independent movie also featuring graphic portrayals of sex, a movie titled Behind the Green Door. Um, It placed fifth, grossing $50 million dollars even though it had a budget of only sixty grand, and it uh, it actually placed uh, behind the well-known movie beside an adventure, but in front of another well-known movie known as Deliverance, so it actually made more money than Deliverance did. It has, you know. So shortly after the phenomenal first weekend release, though, media reports failed to report Deep Throat's box office busting revenue, and instead only listed Godfather's and. This prompted misreporting uh, an investigation, or the, this prompted an investigation by numerous uh, unrelated sources when they came to conclude that it, on, on June 17, 1962, a conspiracy was traced Right back to Richard Nixon himself, and it had that he had been systematically working to manipulate the box office revenues and remove Deep Throat from the list entirely. He tried to get rid of uh, both uh, Deep Throat and also uh, Behind the Green Door, but that didn't work. So this this basically gave um, the student leaders and basically politicians and anybody that didn't like uh, Richard Nixon ammunition fodder. Now. And publicly, um, what's been documented as "quote unquote" and I'm doing a air quote again, the truth is Watergate. And interestingly enough, an informant called Deep Throat. Well, that's that's what public documentation has, but that's actually not what happened. You know, what really happened was um, because of this, Nixon refused to answer for the accusations and. You know, being accused of manipulating media sources, it had been a well-known fact that he did that regularly and everything, and as had every other president before him. But he was the first one, unfortunately, for him to be held accountable for these actions. So, and, um, and, and he was being accused of doing it to sustain the war in, in Asia. Well, the accusations weren't far from the truth, but they're a manipulation of the truth you know, he wasn't interested in sustaining the war per se in Asia. He just wasn't interested in repercussions of it ending too quickly without the consideration of of why that war was existing to begin with and the implications that that war had on the United States when when everything was said and done and everything. So... What happened at this point was, as a direct result of this, um, on October 30th, 1973, impeachment processes commenced against Richard Nixon, and on August 20th, 1974, Richard Nixon became the first president of the United States to be impeached for his actions, and he was actively subverting the public's right to know the truth through media manipulation. Now, publicly, the can- the scandal became known as Watergate, and here's actually where the rift occurs between um, the divisive rift that occurs between the two realities. Um, one version of Los Angeles, you know, which is the version that uh, exists in well, more or less, you know, the world as I see it right now. But there's another world that I see too. I'm seeing two different worlds right now, and this other world, in Deep Throat wasn't the informant, Deep Throat was the movie, which had failed to appear in the position it had justifiably earned according to box office revenues, and the real reason Nixon was impeached, and this became publicly known, you know, in media, and basically the whole idea and, and concept of transparency and everything ensured that the public was aware, you know, that basically people that worked in the government were accountable for their actions plain and simple. You know, you can't um, claim a legacy, you know, of malfeasance and everything and continue doing it yourself, you know, and at that point claim it's because of everybody else has done it before you. And that was kind of the point of this alternate reality. You know, just because other people have done it before you doesn't entitle you, doesn't obligate you to do it. And this is actually what this alternate how how this alternate reality actually happened. Now, you might think that this alternate reality is fictional, not real. But let me assure you, it is. It's perfectly real, and it's where we get a lot of our material on this planet and everything. And I'm in active conversation with it. Now And with that said, in this alternate reality version of Los Los Angeles, the box office revenues and the reason for Nixon's impeachment were publicly released. And this signified the closure and the victory of the sexual revolution. And, And in much the same way, the Emancipation Proclamation signified the Civil War's end. It also signified the end of the sexual revolution and the victory of the sexual revolution. So um, at this point, you have, for the very first time, a hard split in between in the formation of two different realities. You have a version of Los Angeles which, and particularly, a version of media and Hollywood and that kind of stuff, which is based on transparency, and and basically there is no censorship. You have the capability to be able to release any fucking thing that you want to, and as a result, this kind of stuff is actually going to go public and everything. So people will be held accountable for their actions, period, end of story. Particularly people that are actually in government positions and everything. So there's that reality. And then there's the other reality. Basically, it's just um, you know the wars continued, kept continuing, and kept going and kept going and kept going. So, within uh, within days, and 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 I'm not going to talk about our reality anymore. I'm going to talk about this other reality because our reality you can look it up on uh, Wikipedia and all this other stuff. And this other reality. Um, Within days of Nixon's impeachment, troops were withdrawn from, from Vietnam. Now, most of mainstream media at that point, uh, that is, television sh- television shows and movies alike, utterly embraced the ability to be able to release material freely. And at this point, um, graphic sex and nudity, particularly with the success of the wild success of Deep Throat and uh, and Behind the Green Door, um, made it so where they included graphic sex and nudity on regular TV within their programming. So some shows... So, for instance, such as the Mary Tally Moore show In this world In this version of Los Angeles And the media world and everything Featured a nudist single same, Played by the same woman A nudist single woman um, Named Mary Richards Who at age 30 She moves to Minneapolis from a rural community On the heels of being um, ostracized by her community For her choices to lose her wardrobe publicly So, you know It's basically, it's, a, it's kind of the same pre- it's a similar premise and at this point she's offered the position of an associates producer you know which is why she's put on the news she's one of the first ones that basically embraces nudity she literally loses her entire wardrobe you know to basically and this is why she's actually hired. You know, because she's attractive and she's also chosen to be completely naked. And as a result, you know, Ed Asner ends up saying to her sex selves, and that's why he ends up, um, you know, putting her on. So similarly, not, not much later, Laverne and Shirley, while tamed by comparison our reality, featured two lesbian women who regularly engaged in graphic on-screen sexual acts. as this is true, you know, throughout this alternate reality. It started almost immediately with the success of Deep Throat within two years. You know, I had TV shows that were doing this graphically during prime time and that kind of stuff. Um, Many other shows deviated from our reality in a similar fashion. So whether it was John Ritter uh, pretending to be gay in three's company with two attractive females as roommates, a show which uh, received several People's Choices awards in this alternate reality and Emmy Emmy awards for everything from best threesomes, best group sex scenes, best anal sex scenes, and most attractive cast. You know, um, it received similar awards in our world, you know, but in this alternate reality, it's not what happened. You know, it's just the same people, same same sets, almost the same dialogue in some cases, but remarkably different, you know, depictions of sex and nudity. So, it's, you know, in our world, it's demure, it's, you know, it's childlike, you know, where in their world, (laughs) it's far from it. So... Um, that's, uh, so, oh, this is another one I found. The Bionic Woman, featuring Lindsay Wagner, was at first intended as a parody of the Bionic Man. So, they didn't, they actually had the intention of making the Bionic Woman, um, And uh, they had the intention of making it a movie, and it uh, it was along the lines of, like, A Deep Throat, but once, and it had been planned well in advance and everything, but uh, once they actually, you know, found the mainstream appeal of it, they ended up basically putting, you know, Lindsay Wagner into the lead role, like Mary Tyler Moore. Um, she was the first superhero to refuse to wear clothes and was frequently sent on missions around the world. Which, and this is one of the first shows, shows of its kind that actually gained worldwide approval. Now, I'd always wondered about the success of Baywatch. Well, part of the success of Baywatch was because in this alternate reality, nobody wore clothes. Nobody. I mean, they're on a damn, damn beach and everything. We see bikinis and you know, t- you know tank tops and everything, and they see basically people that are butt-ass naked and everything, and some of the most gorgeous people that, uh, that our society has to offer. So, you know, and this is actually pretty much par for the course. The things that we see in our reality are not one and the same that this other reality sees. You know, the same show, you know, is... In some cases, very remarkably different. I remember seeing a version of um, Oprah Winfrey from this alternate reality, and the version of uh, of this Oprah Winfrey show was the um, it was the time that um, Tom Cruise ended up. Um, he appeared on the episode, and he was talking about his relationship with uh, oh, what's her name. Um, he's just frantic, and he's jumping up and down on, on the, on on the couches and everything, exclaiming his his love and everything. Well, I remember it was one of those times that I actually was seeing both realities at the same time, and um, I I mean on TV, mind you. And uh, I'm, I'm seeing it, and I'm laughing because what's happening is I'm actually seeing Oprah Win- uh-huh. uh, Tom Cruise have sex with Oprah Winfrey, exclaiming his love for Katie Holmes. That's, uh, that's who he's doing with. And he's fucking Oprah Winfrey all around the couch and everything, and that's why he's jumping around and everything. And it's just like, this is, this is what's considered normalcy in this alternate reality, where basically people are having sex with everybody everywhere, you know, and it's just one of those things that they just do, and it's considered, along the same lines, as a handshake in our reality. You know, that's, and it all started with deep throat. Deep throat desensitized people, to, you know, from sex, or it's become something that's done for fun, you know, there's definitely a lot more perversion there and everything. You know, nudity is something that people just, it's not that they don't care It's just that they they tend to be a lot more liberated and have a lot more fun with it. and You know, just really, if somebody's walking around naked, eh, they don't care. I mean, they still sell clothes, don't get me wrong, but a lot of people choose not to have wardrobes, particularly in the warmer climates and everything. So, um, on the top ten TV shows of 1977, so this is only three years after um, Nixon's uh, impeachment over in this alternate reality, only one show in the entire list did not feature graphic sex or nudity on a regular basis, and even then, there was one solitary exception to this. Um, this one show. So the show's, you know, the, show, the show's name is Mash. And it, uh, it featured an unpopular subject, you know, the Korean War and everything. And um, because they were still, you know, trying to respect some of those people that um, were returning from the war, that, uh, you know, that had returned from the war and everything, and just basically not, not insult them by saying, hey, you know, it, it more or less, you know, we understand why you were there, we respect that you were there, you know, and we have a show for you just to understand it and everything, put things in perspective, but this isn't reality anymore. This isn't what we want in our world. We're going to provide shows like this, you know, on rare occasion, but this isn't our preference. Well, the funny thing about that show is it had Radar's Radar's ass on it. So, I mean, it's still, you know, quite, you know, he's naked in it in the the one show, but that's kind of funny. So... Um, it came number four for those two years. So, the world's history from around that time period isn't that dissimilar. So, we have tangent points in, in between our history. So, the one tangent point, massive tangent point, is, you know, the Elvis thing. That's that's a tangent point that basically started what I consider is like a, a wave function. It It's the point of two realities separating ever so slightly. And then they come back together and they come back together starting in about 1970 things to the Kent state stuff and then at that point because of what happened with Richard Nixon in 1974 you know and his continued you know censorship and leveraging of you know, of media and everything to promote his um, you know promote his perspectives and everything Um, At that point in 1974, there's another tangent point. Now, when I, I talk about a tangent point, I'm talking about inflection, a point where something hits the surface. It's like a pebble hitting the, you know, when you're skipping a pebble across the pond, and you see that one point where the pebble will skip. And it'll cause an indentation in the water and it'll skip out and create a ripple effect from there. Well, that's what I'm referring to as a tangent point. That's a single point in space and time where two worlds briefly collide. Now, at that point, there's an exchange. You know, it's just basically an exchange of. Um, ideas, exchange of people, exchange of minds, and at that point, you know, it's just basically saying, look, you know, you got some people on your planet, we got some people on yours, and at this point they go together and then they, they depart. And at that point they wildly departed this you know because of what happened with Nixon. So at that point, that tangent point ended up bubbling and creating two wildly different versions. Of of um, Los Angeles and of Earth altogether. I mean, and when I say wildly different, you know, it, it started with media, but I'm seeing things from around the world, you know, and how very very different society and sexual mores are, you know, around the world and everything as a result of it. So, um, and this ended up happening. You know, and basically the whole sexual attitude that was, per, you know, pervasive as far as, you know, sharing and, you know, just basically open sex and that kind of stuff was pretty much ubiquitous. It, it didn't just happen on screen or happen off the screen. You can walk next door and ask somebody for a cup of sugar and their wife, you know, and, and more often than not, it's just like you know, somebody will gladly, gladly let you use their wife and everything for the evening if you're lonely. You know, and that's actually the weird nature of what society was like. You know, people weren't considered possessions, you know, in this alternate reality, but they were also, they regarded sex, you know, in a a way that, um, it was, um, it was something that just basically needed to be shared. I mean, that's the whole premise of what the sexual revolution was. So, at this point, this ended up causing a massive rift in between the two different realities. And um, up until this weird event happened, in their reality, in our, event, in our reality, we know perfectly well why it happened, but in their reality, there, there wasn't any reason for it. They didn't understand it. That's September 11, 2011. Um, the day the towers fell. Now... That happened simultaneously in their reality, and our reality. Now, our reality, we have a whole history for it. We understand why it happened. You know, um, there's, you know, of course there's all the conspiracies out there that actually caused it to happen, but, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, there's plenty of reasons, you know, to build up to the eventuality of that event happening and everything, where historically they have absolutely no under, They had, at that point, absolutely no understanding of why that attack happened um, they thought the world was kind of a perfect place. They thought that the world was moving around hunky-dory, and that, um, transparency, and everybody knew what, was, what everybody else was doing, and there wasn't any problems, and, you know, it's just like, hey, this is kind of, um, almost a utopia. And, um, it was a little bit naive, you know, um, I, I can't say naive, it was just a different perspective and everything. So what ended up happening was 9-11. When that happened, they didn't know why it happened. So at this point, they en- ended up investing a great deal of time and energy into dis- discovering why it happened. Well, and this is actually when they discovered us. In their own way, they discovered the truth of something called the multiverse. And the idea and concept of alternate realities and multiple realities, and at that point they learned to um, through a ad- rapid advancement of technology and transparency through technology, they learned to communicate with these alternate realities. Now it, it took them a long time you know to actually figure out where things were going and why. Um, it took them you know a, a long time relative in a relative sense, and I'm going to say that in Einstein way without dig- digging deeper into it. And uh, once they ended up understanding the quantum nature of reality, um, at that point they had to actually turn around and they had, to, um, they had to understand how to leverage what they understood about quantum nature and how to, how to actually, uh, in a sense, send messages indirectly. You know, so more or less how to communicate through indirection. Through um, without having direct connections. Now, part of the problem of of, um, of alternate realities is there's an infinite potential that are out there. Now of those infinite potential, there's a finite potential that can actually have an influence on your reality, and there's an even lesser possibility, you know, of realities that can actually not just directly influence you, but can also impact you in such a way that the World Trade Centers' uh, distracting did, and uh, they had to learn to contact the one reality that was responsible, or the, or the one or or what they considered. finite few in order to actually figure out what was going on, and at that point basically teach me about what had happened, why it happened, and potentially change the course of things. Now this is actually why I'm doing the Grand Theft Auto modification. I'm going through and I'm learning about their world, you know, from my own perspective. We're working together in our own way, if you will, um, to come up with a better path forward. You know, to basically take some of the things, because now that they've learned to put their own world into perspective, understanding. You know What caused those events to happen to begin with? They're not disclaiming or claiming responsibility for the problems that have occurred in their reality and that have actually bled into other realities and everything. But they're also not saying that they're unwilling to change, too. So that's actually what I'm working with with uh, Grand Theft Autos. I'm just basically t- paying a lot of attention to the sexual and you know the social mor- norms that are in their society. And it's very profoundly different, you know. Um, here in our reality, for instance, you know it's just like teen sex and you know sex and anything to do with sex that's underage and everything is typically regarded, you know, with really a tenacious, just um, loathing, you know, to some degree. We're over there, you know, it's very different. You know, sexuality, you know, from a very young age, is taught and preached, and it's just basically shared among family members and everything. Literally, family members, you know, so you can be eight years old in this other reality. And I'm not saying this is the way they want to maintain things. You know, but you could be eight years old in this alternate reality where, you know, dad might be basically asking for a hand Well, this is the reality that, that has been created as a result of embracing total transparency and everything, you know, since deep throat. Now I'm not making the shit up. You know, this is more or less how things have gone. But what they're not interested in is basically alienating every other reality out there by persisting this this mindset and this framework and everything. So that's among the reasons I'm working with them. I like the idea of being a little bit more liberal, you know, and inviting a little bit more liberal nature, you know, of sexuality into my own world. You know, I don't like the idea of including things like that, you know, but I I like the idea of certainly, you know, desensitizing the American public and everything to you know, to sexuality and maybe altering it, you know, substantially and everything and deviating in that direction. Um, I don't know, maybe in the long term, head towards that direction anyways. I mean, well, let's be clear. I'm bored, you know, in this reality and everything. I'm tired of seeing violence on TV. I'm tired of, you know, of being threatened when I hung out at, um, over to Starbucks and everything, on a regular basis and everything, and I do believe that my society and my world needs something new. Well, sexuality seems like the obvious one direction ahead, you know, and space and Star Trek and that kind of stuff seems like another obvious direction, too. Well, take the two and combine it. You know, I've never seen a space-fearing society that's actually sexually promiscuous. So why not consider that? So uh, that's the that's the resistance I'm receiving from their world because if they had their way, um, we would head directly in their direction and everything. And you know, I mean, it's like our society, our world. You know, we're we're fixated on our, our perspectives and everything. I'm like right in between. I'm just basically saying, hey, I like the idea of bridging the two. You know, I like the idea of saying, hey. You know, um, there are certain things in one reality that I like, and there are certain things in this reality I like. You know, I like, I like how, and in a general sense, I mean, they're, they're very quick, you know, to basically want to beat the shit out of somebody else because of transparency. Now, you might say that the whole concept of war and violence and that kind of stuff, um, should have made this go away, right? No, that's not the truth. What ended up happening was people just kind of like, you know, ended up losing their ambitions. And if you've ever seen the movie um, The Invention of Lying, you know, they they feel that, um, you know, that complete openness and everything um, means speaking the first thing that comes to their own mind. Well, they don't understand that, you know, that they have a, a history of animal nature and everything that they're defying to actually become human. And reverting back to that animal nature isn't the answer. You know? Now they're gonna fight with this because they don't understand that this whole reversion process and everything is what's is what's guiding them to actually be, quote, open and honest and everything. And that's actually, you know, the whole animal nature and basically wanting wanting to fight somebody that actually opposes you, you know, when it comes down to physical violence and everything. They don't view this as war. You know, because you're not amassing a whole group of people in order to be able to achieve it. Yeah, they don't understand very well where war came from to begin with. And, and that's actually one of the problems that they had, too, was they viewed their final victory as a, um, more or less a, a belief that this was the last victory that they needed to have in order to basically promote the uh, idea and concept of war, not understanding where the war came from to begin with. So, in any case, um, I'm making um, making my modifications to Grand Theft Auto day by day and everything, and, you know, I'll make some changes here and there, and I'll hear in my own way through my mind now, I feel like I'm a channeler to some degree, um, I'll hear some suggestions and ideas, I have some ideas of my own, and I've learned to basically filter out which one's which, which one's, you know, coming from a foreign source, or which one's coming from my own mind. And it, um it, I it, this whole tough, this whole battle that I had inside my mind almost drove me crazy for years. You know, but now that I've been able to filter out my own thoughts from what I consider this other collective's thoughts, it's become a lot easier, you know, to figure out what I want versus what's being suggested to me. and basically finding a way to make a compromise or or in some cases, just basically saying, "No, nope, fuck no, I veto that." And uh, to some degree I kind of understand you know, Nixon's position Nixon is one, one of my favorite uh, Favorite presidents And um, Not necessarily for the decisions that he made From a, a sexual perspective or anything like that But because he stood his ground And he did the entire time He believed in what he had to believe in And he dug in his heels now, did he end up in a position? This is actually my question. That he crafted, handcrafted, because he was done with leadership? I'm suspecting he did. The timeless nature of the mind and people, my interpretation of a person. I may see several presidents when in fact there was only ever one man. And that man got tired of the battle and said, I'm just done. I'm ready to move on. So in any case, I've um, made a couple new changes to Grand Theft Auto. Um, One of them is on the pier. I found a uh, really cool ad of a... uh, Woman carrying a surfboard, a McKee surfboard, and everything. And um, usually, things for lesser costs. Um, you know, things where the advertisers might not have quite the money. Um, usually, these ads are thrown up by vendors. They're, they're pieced together by vendors. You know, that might be a one-off mom-and-pop shop or something like that that are saying, hey, we've got this. So what I did was I created a uh, stenciled-on ad, you know, featuring, you know, a pretty attractive woman that has no bottoms on, and she's carrying a McKee surfboard. And, you know, I'm, I am I pieced together this ad that intentionally looks amateurish. You know, it's got the, uh, the advertiser's logo. It's got her off to the left-hand side. It has stenciled letters at the end of the pier off to the left-hand side, and uh, it's just, I had fun doing that one just because, you know, most of the ads I'm trying to look professional on, and this one is just like, no, let's think about this one from a mom-and-pop surfboard shop where the, the father, you know, sets up an ad, you know, saying, hey, we got surfboards over here, you know, and uh, he puts it together on his own computer and everything, he's pretty damn proud of it when he gets done with it, that was my perspective on that one, and uh, I just, I smiled when I put that one out, you know, I was just like, that's, that's really fun, you know, just thinking about something from somebody else's perspective like that and everything, you know, Um, let's see, what else did I do, peer billboard, I got that one, um. Oh, yeah. That that one in particular, though. I found a cool way to uh, to basically track these um, track the images down. Now, Grand Theft Auto, um, and I'm learning about three dimensional design as I reverse engineer this thing. Um, it's really kind of interesting, just because. It in itself all this stuff has been reverse engineered to throw this presentation together and it really does look like the grand theft auto game itself um was reverse engineered to begin with i'm suspecting i don't know i mean there isn't any whoever organized this thing to begin with um it, while it could be a team there's no organizational structure to it that really makes obvious sense from a a high-level organization perspective. You know, so what I'm saying is, you know, for me, I've been working in the corporate world for years, and we had... You know, I was an architect for a little bit. In a lot of cases, you know, you've got somebody that actually takes things and says, hey, let's put this here, you know, you're going to have things here, you know, here and here, and here's our naming conventions, and when you want to find, you know, something for this resource, here's where you're going to go. You know, making it easy for basically anybody within the organization, particularly that's development or IT or something like that, to be able to trace things down. Now, I came, when I got to Wells Fargo, one of the brilliant, things that they ended up doing was each of the um, different organizations within Wells Fargo had their own servers, master servers for the foreign exchange system. And what they ended up happening was uh, they referred to these things as a universe. And I thought that was, it's cheesy, you know, and they ended up naming each of these universes basically on uh, star clusters. And uh, I'm just like, I'm going, okay, that's cheesy, but It was my responsibility to tie all the universes together and to, at this point, um, come up with a central organization scheme, which let me um, consolidate the the information that each universe wanted to save. without dictating to each universe what information they were supposed to save so the first scheme that had been come up with the archi- by the architect that was prior to me he had a, a top-down one-size-fits-all equation for you know basically saying, hey you know to each universe here's here's the information um, I'm requiring of you. You know, and uh, if you have information that you want saved, um, it has to come to me in this format. Well, what ended up happening was um, a lot of uh, a lot of these different um, organizations within Wells Fargo flat out just didn't report to them because they couldn't, you know, why are we going to, you know, save the information in the corporate mainframe when the information that they're asking us, um, if we need to recover, you know, that's not going to allow us to recover the way that we want to. Well, I came up with a scheme while I was there to basically say, hey, you know, um, our chief problem is each of these universes, um, they have specific information that I'm not going to be able to um, figure out in advance and everything. Now, I want them to be able to save all the information and that they want to and everything, and also to be able to dynamically adjust this. You know, so, and not only that, but... I'm not going to, I'm not interested in truly reading their information. I'm just interested in storing it and making sure that I could retrieve it for them later. So what I ended up doing was creating something called an XML blob. And uh, the XML blob, I had a base structure that basically said the name of the universe, you know, some ID information and everything. But from that point forward, each universe ended up uh, reporting back to me. Um, whatever they wanted to, you know, so they can store anything, anything that they wanted to. And that's what we ended up doing. You know, we ended up converting the entire kit and caboodle within a period of six months' time and everything to, you know, basically a, a multiverse. And at that point, every universe was responsible for reporting to me, you know, the information that they wanted to store. And, hey, you know, whatever they wanted to store was completely up to them. You know, if they want to store, you know, imagery and everything, well, I mean, they had um, they had limitations, you know, as far as what they can store. You know, but uh, in a general sense, it's just like, you know, we can monitor, you know, um, the, the volume of uh, information that's coming across and everything. You know, now we had best practices that we had, you know, that we sent to each of these, um, the group managers and everything that said, hey, here's what we're going to be doing. You know, here's the best practices and everything that we're suggesting for you. Um, but we understand this may not work for you. So what we ended up doing at that point was just saying, here's our best practices. If you use it, then cool. Um, we'll be able to gather this other information from a reporting perspective and everything. But if you don't, then you don't. Here's what we just need for a blob. And at that point, we ended up getting 100% participation you know, for for basically everybody that wanted to report. Well, some might claim that that actually um, that presents security issues and everything. Well yes it could and um as a result it definitely puts some of the security guys and everything on it, it gives them a a job you know so th- uh, the way i looked at it is i'd rather have data retention you know um than uh, and uh, diversity in the organization and everything and that's actually what was being demanded anyways rather than um strict adherence to a a top-down philosophy and everything, and uh, that strict adherence and everything required data to be sent, and uh, only certain data to be sent and everything, because at that point you had an overall failure by the vast majority of the organization to actually do any reporting and everything. So, anyways, um, the reason I'm mentioning this is the structure you know, of information from an architectural standpoint and everything for a company, an organization, or whatever. Um, the internal structure of of the databases and of the, t- the systems that talk to each other, you know, that uh, basically you've got a user interface. In this case, you've got Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto. The game itself is the, interfa- is the user interface, and with that you have um, ties that go in through C++ code that actually talks to the back-end databases. Now, in this case, the, the backend databases are are flat text files um, called RPFs, which which are more or less databases in themselves. They've got an organizational system with each one; it's a hierarchical system and everything. Um, but the problem is, there's no um, there is a basic um, File structure to this and a directory structure and everything, you know. But when it comes down to it, it's um, it's kind of willy nilly. There isn't any. If you're actually trying to locate and you're brand new, you know, to the system and everything, like I am and you're trying to find things out and figure out where things are without having to reference an external document. I'm the type of person I like diving into shit and trying to figure it out and everything, you know. And um, for me, it's just like I don't like reading instruction manuals. I flat out don't absorb the shit, you know. For me, I'm a hands-on kind of person, you know. So, you know, for instance, when I started messing around and and doing Jeep mechanic-type stuff and everything, sure, I fucked it up a couple times. I mean, one of the first times I worked on my car was changing a flat tire, and uh, I, one of the first things I did was I stripped one of the lug nuts because I, I ended up tor- over torquing it. And everything I didn't know you can do it. Well, man, talk about a clusterfuck of a problem and everything. So I found out the hard way some of the problems that, you know, being too hard on a on you know something that you know can't take the pressure that I'm putting on everything can do. So, you know, I learned the hard way, and at that point, I ended up picking up something called Chilton's Manual and, you know, referencing that in order to basically do all my mechanic work, and I made it a fact to basically any time I got a car, with the exception of the Lexus, I ended up buying a Chilton's Manual shortly after that, and for the basics, whether or not it was an oil change, sometimes I took it for an oil change, you know, but uh, whether or not it was an oil change or changing a fuel pump, an alternator, or starter, whatever, I mean, typically I did most of that shit myself, not just to save money because I wanted to understand my car, you know. I wanted to understand the mechanics of of how it functioned and why it did what it did, and if I actually wanted to make upgrades, you know, well, the upgrades I can make. And I did the same thing with my computer systems throughout my life, you know. So whether or not it was, you know, I started building my first PC in XT and back in 88, and, you know, I mean, I started... Back in 1983, I think, I ended up adding on a tape system and, you know, a printer, a dot matrix printer and everything, you know, it was just like adding on peripherals. Well, you know, by the time the XT came around, I started put, dropping in graphics cards and different, you know, I learned about the bus and you know, the different bus systems and RAM and RAM speeds and, you know, basically how communication happens between memory on the system and, you know, the CPU and all that kind of stuff and everything. This is among the reasons I learned about PCs the way I did. Well, the same thing holds true for, you know, for data systems, and this is nothing more than a data system. You know, so Grand Theft Auto is a game. You know, is a client. It's a well-made client, and everything talks to um, an RPF, or it communicates and reads an RPF file. And that RPF file is a data database, and uh, it it's a data store. I guess is a better word for it. And that data store contains a specific hierarchy in it. And assets, information in the forms of models, in the form, forms of emission images. So basically, um, every image, um, every texture has light that's emitted from it. So it will contain emission images. It will contain XML files, which I haven't uh, seen the diversity on um, yet, but uh, it contains basic structure for um, the performance of vehicles all the way to... Um, pedestrian AI, you know, th- a lot of shit I haven't dug into yet. And then in, in addition to this, it also contains uh, the uh, textures themselves, the images that actually get pasted against the models. So, where when I look at a, a picture of a billboard on, you know, or a, a billboard that I'm actually seeing as I travel down Sunset Boulevard in this virtual reality, um, I'm actually seeing a billboard, you know, and I'm seeing an image on that billboard, and an image that I built myself. So this is, um, this is a structure, but while this structure is decent for me, jumping into it from the outside, there's no high level um, design on it. You know, so as I look at this and as I see, um, you know, an image of, it's called SS1 underscore 08 underscore slot one. Well, I know that, uh, that um, level or LOD probably stands for level of detail and it's a low level of detail I know by the naming scheme SS require uh, is a reference to sunset strip um, I know the one pref- or the SS1 um, is rather meaningless and the underscore is the zone area it refers to so 08 um, O 02, so it's like SS1, o 02 occurs west of o 08, occurs west of o 09, occurs, and so on and so on. So 11, and as I go down the street, um, I'm sorry, 11 is further west than 10, is further west than 9, is it? Hold on, let's see. 9, 8, 2... There's, look at the Miley picture, and I look at the other one, so 10, No, nope. so 10 is further east than, or is further west than 11, is further, and 9 is further west than, than 10, and so on, yeah. Hold on, no it's not, because 8 so it goes 11 is west, 10 is east of that, 9 is east of that, yeah, and 8 is east of that. Okay, there we go. And 2 is east of that. And and that's kind of the problem, because 1 is to the south of it. And that's, that's the thing, is they don't have... They have kind of a zone-based organization system, and it's not necessarily... It's like a Chinese-based organization system. You know, if I had my bet, I would be, bet that um, this had been reverse-engineered by Chinese. Chinese don't have streets. Chinese have zones. And they don't have addresses, per se. They have locations on the, uh, in the zone. So my bet is this is actually reverse-engineered at first by the Chinese they just applied their own way of thinking to this, and this is how they see the world. They organized it accordingly. So me, what I'm going to do is, um, well, I mean, what I would have done is I would have organized this in a very different way. And basically made it so where you have um, street names. And one of the modifications I'm going to make to this saying is is gonna, I'm going to go through and actually start giving streets street names. So if you come up to, like, Sunset Boulevard, you have a stop sign here. Well, in my reality, you've got a street sign, and that street sign will indicate this is Sunset Boulevard, and you're on the corner of Sunset Boulevard and whatever street and everything. And uh, that's one thing I'm going to do, So I'm going to add some road signs to it. And uh, what I've done is I've created a little list of things I'm going to add. And um, that's one big thing I'm going to add. Now I have a couple of other things i put on my list. Let's go to my list. Um, so, modify billboards, that's uh, that's obvious I'm doing, that. that's ongoing. Um, add street and road signs, create and fix addresses. So, I've noticed in this uh, this world, the addresses, um, I want it to appear more western-like. So, like this right here, I've got 0604, 0605, and the building next to it doesn't have a number on it. building next to that doesn't have a number on it. Because that doesn't have a number on it, so if I keep going down that street, none of the buildings have numbers on it. Not a single one. Until, let's see, I keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, not a single one. Keep on going, keep on going. Yeah, that's funny. There's only those like three buildings in a row that actually had numbers on it. I traveled a long way on that street just now, just to actually look for no number. So that's actually something else I'm gonna do. Let's basically put road numbers on it, or street numbers on it. For me it just makes a little bit more organizational sense when you're driving down the street, and you're looking for a specific address. Boom! It'll show you where that address is. Now I understand GPS might actually change all that and everything, you know, but I don't know, let's say 0605, yeah, same street, 2142, I went in the other direction. So it goes 0605, and then right down the street, 2142 on the same side of the street, that doesn't make any sense, 922 on the other side of the street, so I think it's all zone-related. 2143, and that's the whole thing, if you're trying to drive around, Looking for a specific place and everything, and let's say a GPS indicates make a left turn here, and for some reason, yeah, you know, it has a number, and maybe that number points to a different couple different locations. Some you know some buildings don't have their street signs on it. Weird. I just like the idea of being able to pinpoint the location a little bit better and a little bit faster. So that's one thing I'm going to be doing. Um, alter all the Los Santos references to be Los Angeles, so I ended up making changes to the fire department yesterday um, over towards the airport. It is now Los Angeles. I also use uh, Los Angeles's golden color and everything, rather than Los Santos's yellow color. Um, one thing I'm gonna do is uh, I'm gonna differentiate the, um, the upscale areas versus the, da- the lower lower end areas. So, in one thing I've noticed I'm going to start paying attention. Well, I've been paying attention. Um, you, you have, like, some of these buildings. I mean, we're in a nice nice area of town. And I come over here to... What was this place that I went to the other day? And there's a big, huge trash can, like, right out in front of the place. So I'm talking one of those big, huge dumpster ones and everything. Well, you know, in my reality, you know, we know that those those trash cans... Make a place look trashy. So, as a result, you differentiate the lower scale areas from, or the upscale areas from lower scale, scale areas by putting the trash cans. You know, let's um, see, we can do without Los Santos. That's kind of weird. I see, as I'm going around the city, I'm, I mean, I'm literally looking at everything you know, so I'll go back in the backyards, I'll see some things I didn't see, but the, going back to the trash cans, one thing I plan on doing is uh, going through very, very thoroughly, um, making sure that the upscale areas, um, are well manicured, well groomed, and also have, um, free of trash, and they have all the trash cans and all the, you know, all the, all the shit, you know, um, basically pretending that, uh, that this is, you know, a well groomed area and everything, and that. um, People are going to be managing and keeping the trash out of their areas, you know. So it's just like, hey, this is not the ghetto, and the ghetto, however, is going to have those features and everything. You want to go and see contrast and everything? Well, go to the nice areas and check out, you know, how the, how well the areas are going to be manicured and everything, and then start going to the ghetto. And you're going to see a couple trash bins, boxes, and you know, shit, you know. And it's just like, okay. Like, um, I, I love Hollywood. Flat out love it. And uh, one thing I do not like in my reality, and I would also love to see in this reality, is basically Hollywood cleaned up. You know, um, flat out, the trash taken out, plain and simple. So, in this other area and I like the idea of doing it here and seeing if it actually affects my reality I'm suspecting there might be a little bit of a a little bit of a cascade domino butterfly effect so um, they've got on the city walk um, they've got a whole bunch of buildings that uh, and businesses and everything they're barred and gated up and that kind of shit and also some trash on the ground around the star walk and that kind of stuff well guess what's going to go away all that. I want it to look good, you know, for the downtown Hollywood area. I want it to look nice. I want it to look like a place that, in this version of of Los Angeles, you know, where it's pretty, where basically it's, you know, well, it's not going to be as pristine as a place like Beverly Hills or something like that. You know, you're certainly going to see the, the characters, the people dressing up as Superman or Wonder Woman or something like that, you know, but the difference is probably going to be Superman with a, you know, with a penis showing, and uh, Wonder Woman with a with crotchless panties on, and you know, maybe nipples being free and everything. You know, that's the kind of things that our world might think would be trash. We're here, hey, it's just part of, you know, part of the allure of this reality. Anyways, is just basically you are going to see, you know, you are going to see genitals fucking everywhere. You know, so get over it, but. I don't know. I'm uh I'm just looking at all the changes I'm gonna make, and I'm starting to write them down and everything. This project's growing and growing and growing, you know, in my mind on the possibilities and everything. But to be honest, I like the idea of building this world. It's fun. It's um. I wish I had a few more resources and everything for it. You know, people I could sit there and say, okay, here's what I want. You know, um, it'd be nice to have a marketer and. You know, I mean, but here's the problem: I couldn't pay money. You know, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, in a real sense, actually ask ask for any of this stuff. So the fact of the matter is, I mean, and and because it is pirated, I mean, flat out, I know I'm never going to get monetized for this or anything like that. And really, you know, being honest. Who wants to see a sexually perverted reality based on Deep Throat's influence on society over a prolonged period of time, where Mary Tyler Moore is naked all the time and John Ritter's constantly getting laid by uh, by his two roommates and everything? I mean, for me, it was just like these were fantasies when I was young. It's just like I like the idea of seeing it in reality. You know, and uh, while I like the idea of having my reality at the same time to come back to, I like the idea of going to this alternate reality and saying, hey, I fit in here too, because, you know, I imagined a lot of this stuff for most of my life and everything, and I love you perverts, you know, you perverts rock. But anyways, um, yeah, I'm. it's raining. What I also did was I ended up... Um, ended up combining time so what I did was I ended up uh, setting the rate of the clock to uh, to my own time and in addition to that I also ended up um, got screwed up somehow just now but I also ended up um, finding a weather thing that locked uh, locked the weather into the weather here in Portland so if it's raining here it's also raining in the game if it's At this point it's twenty three oh eight. Jesus, it's eleven oh eight. well it's eleven oh eight in the game, Tim. So I'm just and the reason for it is just basically saying, Hey, it's alternate reality. I'm treating it's basically another version of Earth that's in lockstep with our own. Yep, I'd love to go visit there yeah particularly once i've uh, got some of the kinks worked out and some of the ideas worked out, and oh, I gotta fix that poster, but in any case, I got a lot of work to do on it. I definitely think this world's beautiful though. I've learned a lot in the process, not just um about alternate realities in the multiverse and why it is fact and has to be fact and yet not at the same time why some people just won't accept it and that's okay because that's, they're forming their own reality but one of these days when I design my own game, my own game world and everything the lessons I've already gotten about organization from a high level and how to actually apply textures and different resolution, maps, and I ended up finding this really awesome tool today called Materializer which basically lets me create alpha maps and texture maps and diffuse maps all together in one little package and everything. And uh, I actually look forward to using it. I would uh, thought about some of the ideas that they'd put together in one little package and everything a while back and it's kind of cool seeing it all come together and everything. But I don't think that's going to come until I actually get down and start making my own game. But for right now, Grand Theft Auto 5 offers enough in one package and enough to start on to basically create my own version of Los Angeles just by simple manipulation of the assets that are already there. And it's not going to look exactly like my Los Angeles. It's here, and I don't want it to. But it will look enough like a different version of it. Enough that I'll actually want to go there. And spend some time there myself. That's really the goal, I suppose. Just looking at this alternate reality saying... It's beautiful. And it's got its ugly parts. But it's beautiful for the most part. It's not that much different than the world I know. I'm going to know the streets like the back of my hand and know where everything is when I'm done with it. Or when I get it to a point that I actually might want to, distrib- to distribute it. And the funny thing is I'll be able to point at a sign and say, I made that. That's something I can't do in this world. Anyways. Have a good night.